good morning and welcome. My name is Steve DeWitt. I uh, am, uh, serve as senior pastor here and have the privilege of opening God's Word today and uh, to get into it. Now, if you happen to be here as a guest today, I just have to give you a warning. Uh, it's kind of like walking into a room with a group of people who've been watching a movie and it's almost done. And uh, being like, hey, what's going on? What's going on in the story? And they're like, shh, it's too long to tell you. Uh, that's sort of how I feel now as we wrap up Romans 7. We've been in this teaching series in Romans through 2018, and so much to say, and Romans is, if any book of the Bible, is a, a book that builds logically upon itself, and so I always feel this need to go back and kind of review a little bit so that we remind ourselves where we are in the development of what Paul is saying, uh, but I can't do it in, in, in its entirety, but I will tell you this, uh, we are concluding Romans 7 today. Next Sunday is going to be a Christmas message. Then we have Christmas Eve services. And uh, then in January, we have a whole month of messages on, uh, on family. So uh, marriage and parenting and dealing with conflict in family. The whole month of January is going to be that. So we're not going to get back to Romans until February, but we will be in Romans 8, the greatest chapter in all of the Bible. And we're going to be in it into the summertime because we are going to go low and slow through Romans 8 and I cannot I cannot wait so something to look forward to in 2019 but just a very quick summary Romans 6 Paul has said that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ it is it is not a salvation based upon my righteous works my good things no it is utterly God's grace in my life but in that grace Sin is dethroned from my heart. I no longer am serving my master, Darth Lord Sin. I am, I am now serving Jesus, who has been enthroned into my heart as my Savior and my Lord. I now walk in newness of life. I have the Holy Spirit within me, creating a whole new life, a whole new heart, a whole new set of desires, a whole new destiny. Romans 7. The Apostle Paul biographically shares that in spite of the fact that I am saved by grace, that I have this new heart and this new life, we must acknowledge that there dwells within me this old enemy, the old me, the old regime, sin, specifically called indwelling sin, that remains in the heart and the life of the believer, in the soul of our, of our being, and wages a kind of guerrilla war against now Jesus, who is ruling, on our, ruling in our hearts, and he is, the indwelling sin is always there, seeking to destroy God's good work in our hearts and in our lives. And Romans 7 is the Apostle Paul, even the Apostle Paul acknowledging in his own heart and in his own life a struggle and a tension that he feels between who he desires to be, which is Christ-likeness, and the daily reality of a battle within his own heart with indwelling sin, the old him, the old Paul, he hates it. He uses that word. He hates what he does. The spiritual him hates the remnants of sin in his life because he wants so much to be like Christ. And that brings us up now to verse 21. We're going to look at verses 21 through 25 today. And here is what the Apostle Paul writes. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right... Evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, my body, another law waging war against the law of my mind 
and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. May God bless his word to us today. By the way, you're packed in like sardines right now. Just looking out, I have to say. Thank you for uh, uh, scooching to make room for everybody here. What a, what a fun context to open God's word. I hope this is a blessing to you, as this has been a tremendous blessing in my own life. The last verse here, verse 25, a kind of summary of what he's been trying to share with us throughout Romans 7. He says that in my mind... This is the spiritual Paul, the Christian Paul. He says, I desire to do what God wants in my life. But he says, I recognize at the same time a tension with another law, the flesh, the law of sin. And so we see in that tension, that struggle, what he has been trying to say in Romans 7. Now, This is not to suggest, by the way, that these are like two equal powers. I'm going to refer to Star Wars in a moment. This is not the, you know, the dark side and the the force and the, the positive side of the force where these are two equals seeking domination. No, Jesus Christ is king and ruler of all, okay? Sin bows before Jesus. This is not a two thing, right? So don't have in your mind sort of yin and yang or something like that here. We have the supreme Lord and King of the universe, Jesus, ruling in our hearts. But he has an enemy, okay? He has an enemy. And that enemy is aligned with sin and dwelling in our hearts, the remnant of the old us. It is weakened, but like a bear that's been wounded, it is incredibly dangerous. And part of my mission in in Romans 7 is to convince, if you're a Christian here today, to help you realize you have an enemy dwelling within you every single day. To be blind to that makes that enemy the most dangerous enemy of all. We've got to realize what's going on inside of me. And part of what's so great about this is that the Apostle Paul says, this is what's going on inside of me. The Apostle Paul. And so if he's struggling with this tension, how much more schmoes like you and me realizing the battle that's going on within each of us. Now here's what lies behind Paul's grief over sin in his life it's maturity what we have in Romans 7 is an apostolic autopsy of his own heart and soul and the only way you get to wretched man that I am who will save me from this body of death is if you yourself are a mature Christian and here we have the most mature I mean arguably the most mature Christian ever who is writing Romans 7, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and from that vantage point of maturity, he sees what doesn't look like Christ in his life, and he laments it. He cries out to God, wretched man that I am. So we find in the Apostle Paul a tremendous respect, I'm going to say respect in a, this is a negative way, for the power of indwelling sin within his own Life And this itself is a sign of maturity. So if I could illustrate this way, let's say that there's a new crew, a NIFSCO crew. They're out, uh, linesmen out on the, on the lines of NIFSCO, and they're trying to, you know, fix things, and guys are up on poles, and there's wires and trucks everywhere. You've seen this. 
And let's say that on the crew there's a new guy. And the new guy scampers to the top of the pole. And they, the guys on the ground are watching him. And he's just kind of randomly grabbing this line and this line and that line and this line. What do the guys on the ground think about the new guy? They're like, this greenhorn is not going to live long. <laughs> it's the experienced linesmen that understand the power and the danger of electricity. It is immaturity that doesn't recognize the power and the danger of electricity. And what we have here is Paul writing as an experienced spiritual linesman, understanding the power and the danger of indwelling sin within the life of every single Christian. None of us get away from this. All of us deal with this, the pastor in front of you included. So, thank you, Paul, for being honest. Thank you for having it in your wonderful letter that you hate what you see within yourself. Which brings us now to verse 21. Verse 21 is, is probably the most clear, simple teaching on how indwelling sin works within us in the entire Bible. In fact, the eminent Puritan John Owen wrote his entire book on indwelling sin from verse 21. So this is a... Uh, you're never going to hear, uh, uh, you might hear a better sermon for, from verse 21, but you're never going to hear a better verse than verse 21 as it comes to indwelling sin. Notice again what he says. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Evil lies close at hand. Now here's my summary of what he's saying is this. The more spiritually profitable something will be in my life, the more inner resistance I am going to feel to it. The more inner resistance I'm going to feel. Notice it's, it's not when I go to do something wrong. Like when I go to rob a bank, there I, I feel something wrong. No, no. It's when I go to do something right, when I go to do something good, when I go to do something that's profitable somehow spiritually in my life or in the kingdom of God, now all of a sudden I find evil close at hand. Here's how one paraphrase says it. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. NIV, I think, says is, is uh, oh, I have it here. What does it say? It's right there with me. It's right there with me. So what Paul is saying is this. While indwelling sin is powerful, it is also predictable. It says, it's so predictable, he says, it's like a law, like you can set your clock by it, the way that indwelling sin works. So notice he says, when I want to do what is right, okay, this is, the, this is Paul desiring something that God would want in his life, something pleasing to God, something spiritually helpful, gospel advancing, others uplifting, personally enriching. I ran out of ING words there, that's all I had. Okay, but anything that God would call good, when I have a desire to do that, he says, evil lies close at hand. It's right there in my face when I want to do something that is good. Now, part of this admission is that we never do anything as sinners in this life that is completely free from some taint of sinfulness. There is always, no matter the, the most righteous thing we've ever done in our entire life, 
there is always some little part of the old me that is somehow mixed in there with it. This is the deceitfulness of our own hearts. So for, to give you an example, well, Miss Susan, your service to the church this past year has been exemplary. I dare say I have never seen such dedication and faithfulness. Miss Susan hears that, right? She's encouraged by it. She's uplifted by it. But what also is pulling at the fringes of her thoughts? Is that all you have to acknowledge about me? I do wish others were as dedicated as I am. And now she's set up for the next time she has an opportunity to serve in this particular ministry for the dopamine drop of that word of encouragement. Maybe to do it so that I hear it or to have things whispered in our ears like, you know, they're lucky to have me there at Bethel Church. You deserve even better encouragement than what she said. Or perhaps this, you know, Miss Susan, you must be saved because look at all the wonderful things you've done. And this is the subtlety of how indwelling sin works in our life. The more good something's going to be, the more I can just count on it, that there is going to be something inserted into my brain, a thought in my mind, that is going to take me down. Yesterday, I was praying over something. Okay, and yes, as I say that, I want all of you to admire that I was praying and amazing. <laughs> but I was praying about something, about somebody yesterday. As I was praying, I had a thought that came to my mind that was horrible. Like, I would be utterly embarrassed to tell you the thought that came to my mind. Like, sick, sick thought. And I thought to myself, where did that come from? As I'm praying, I'm like, where did that thought, how did that, I don't want to think that. I'm not wanting to think that, I'm trying to pray. But into my brain comes a terrible thought. Why? And why could I watch basketball all afternoon and never have a thought like that? I'm encouraging you to identify the source of these kinds of things. Where do they come from? And notice that Paul says, it's not when I'm doing something bad. Okay, it's not when I'm, you know, the source of these thoughts is not the casino. It's not the frat party. No, it's serving Jesus in some way. Doing something good for somebody. Sacrificing myself in some way. Then, all of a sudden... I am infused with all kinds of thoughts about self-pity or self-condemnation or self-elevation, self-worship, any, all these, they just come pouring in. And here's the point. The better something is for me spiritually, the more resistance I am going to feel for it. And to recognize the reason I feel the resistance is not the Holy Spirit inside of me. It is not the indwelling spirit. It is indwelling sin that now creates all kinds of barriers for me to do the thing that I am desiring to do. So this is why you could, this Christmas, you could decide, you know what, I'm going to binge watch all eight episodes of Star Wars in, in chronological order. And you sit down and you can watch all of those. Bags of chips can disappear in the process. 
And as you do that, there is not one thought that comes to your mind to do anything other than watch the Star Wars. But what happens when you think, you know, I should pray. Or, I should, I should read my Bible. Or, I should go to church today. Or whatever it might be. Something God would want in our life. What is dropped instantly into our brains and into our hearts? We think things like this. All of a sudden, you know, I could pray, but boy, I could also check the oil in my car. <laughs> right? I could pray, but then... I haven't looked at my high school yearbook in years. I should <laughs> do that. I hope the laughter is conviction because this is the way that it works, okay? This is the way that it works. And if you've been a Christian very long, you know what I'm talking about. This is why I think, for example, social media and, and video uh, gaming makes this so clear. How long? If you're on Facebook, how long can you scroll before some thought to do anything but continue to scroll comes to your mind? And it's a long time. Why can young people and even adults spend hour after hour after hour video gaming without a thought that maybe they should do something more profitable with their time in life? Why? Because the flesh is happy to see us do those things. Just, yeah, you just keep going with that. You're not going to get any resistance from me in that. I'm happy that you're doing that. You just go with the flow there. And we can, hour after hour after hour. How long can you do anything spiritually profitable without thinking of doing something else? About half a second. Why is that? It's exactly what Paul's talking about in Romans 7. When I go to do good, suddenly evil is right there at hand. It's as predictable as the sunrise. Second thing we see here is that indwelling sin, we have to understand how this is working, indwelling sin keeps us from what is spiritually best by enticing us towards something, we'll just call it good. The flesh loves for us to replace what would be best with something that is neutral. Or good. We, we tend to think that indwelling sin, oh, it's bad. And so we think that it, it means that, you know, the way it works is it's, it's trying to, I'm going to commit adultery. I'm gonna, I am going to go rob the bank. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some terrible thing. That's what indwelling sin wants to do. No. Indwelling sin is happy if we merely compromise the best for something that is just sort of neutral or, or good. So rather than asking, what is wrong with this, ask, what will this replace that would have been spiritually best or profitable in my life? Because I know how indwelling sin works. Let me give you a simple illustration of this. Think of the way that we use our time. Okay, our time. Time is defined. So my choices to do A mean that by definition I'm not going to do B. Okay, that's just the way that it works. Indwelling sin will fill our minds, fill our hearts, fill our calendars with all sorts of socially acceptable priorities and culturally expected things that we should be doing. Pack it out with those things. Because by packing it with those things, I have no margin to be doing anything that would be 
profitable spiritually in my life. I can display, it displaces the best with some other kind of thing. So for example, if you came to me and said, well, Pastor Steve, does that mean it's wrong for me to be in the bowling league? Or is it wrong for my kid to play fill in the blank? Well, here's what I would say. If by being in the uh, bowling league or, or doing the whatever activity with your kids, you never have family devotions together, your weekends are sucked up by tournaments, then maybe you should think about that. Because if your son graduates from high school, awesome at the backstroke, but he can't find Romans without looking in the table of contents, who's winning? Who's winning? This is how it works. This is how sin wins. So if I have no time to serve God, no money to give to God, no margin for any kingdom work or thing in my life, I may not be robbing a bank or having adultery, but I am not cultivating a life of eternal value. So my goal today is to, A, help us understand how this works, and secondly, to fight against it, okay, to fight against it. I read a book on verse 21 15 years ago, probably, and that book comes to my mind over and over and over again with principles that I'm sharing with you today. It's been so incredibly helpful in my spiritual life to understand what is going on in my heart and why do I have the desires that I do. I want to share this with you. I want to bless you in the way that it's been a blessing to me. So let's talk about pursuing holiness or Christ-likeness as a means of happiness in my life. And as I go through this, I, I am assuming, and maybe this is not a great assumption, but I'm assuming that if you're a Christian here today, you acknowledge, or even you would be excited to say, that you want to be like Jesus Christ. Because you understand that this is what God is doing in all of our lives. Romans 8 makes it clear. We are being conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. And that the life of Jesus, or a life like Jesus, is indeed the greatest human life that we can live. Amen. That it's far better than anything the world has to offer, and it's certainly far better than whatever indwelling sin's trying to do in my life. That holiness is happiness. Okay, I'll come back to that. A little preview. Okay, a little preview. So how do we do this? The first thing I think is that we have to identify who is our friend and who is our foe here. Who is our friend and who is our foe? How do you know if a desire that you have that rises in your heart, how do you know if this is from our friend, the Holy Spirit, or is it from our foe, the world, the flesh, or the devil? And this sounds easy, but it really isn't, honestly, because our hearts are just factories of desires. Right now, if this room, if all the hearts here could be, you know, suddenly exposed, we, all the desires go up on the screen, a, we'd be totally embarrassed. Secondly, there are, I mean, there's, there's a million desires represented right here in this room right now on all different categories and, and levels. Our hearts are constantly pulsating with desires. Many of them are natural desires. So we are, we, we want to eat because we're hungry and we want to drink because we're thirsty and we, we, uh, if we're cold, we want clothing and shelter, etc. We have, we have relational desires so that 
I don't have to know you to know that you desire to, uh, a friend and somebody to care for you. And we all want to communicate and share with one another. And we have just all kinds of, and these are the ways that God wired us and made us. Nothing wrong with them. But when it comes to the ones that we question, we have to identify who is it behind this desire? Who wants this in my life? Where is this desire taking me? Is this from the flesh or is this from the Holy Spirit? And again, this is where what Paul calls the law of sin is so helpful because while indwelling sin is subtle, it always goes in predictable ways and it's always pulling us in predictable directions. And the Bible identifies what those are. This is Galatians 5. Where is the flesh taking us? Where does it want us to go? Galatians 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And you'll notice here on the screen, I have, I've charted these, okay? It's a chart, a comparison. The one closest to me, this is where indwelling sin wants to take us. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Paul adds, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, indwelling sin always wants to get me here. Now, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden, you know, I'm a sorcerer or, you know, I'm, I'm drunk. Because indwelling sin plays the long game. It plays small ball. It's completely content for a baby step in any of these directions in our life. A small compromise of integrity. A small little give into this dimension, the lower nature that I have. Happy for that. It's not necessarily saying, oh, I'm going to, you know, I want immorality right now. No, no. But a step that direction means there might be another step that direction because it wants to take us down. And this list now is in comparison to what the Holy Spirit is producing in our life. This is Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, or the work of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So here's what I'm encouraging, is when I have a desire or a thought that comes into my heart and into my mind, to stop and say, hey, wait a second, which of these is this taking me? Is this a, is this a small step in this direction? Or is this a step in that direction? And let's just be honest, it's not like there's a lot of crossover between these. These are all really bad, and these are all really good. And what we want to do is, when we see something like this, a desire like this in our hearts, to say, ah, ah, indwelling sin, I see what you're doing there. I know who's behind this because I know how you work. And by the same token, when I find an inclination in my heart that's on this side, to be like, Holy Spirit, yes, I'm going to fuel that. I'm going to starve this, I'm going to feed this. But it means that I'm identifying 
which it is. Now here's, here's my anecdotal conviction, is that the vast majority of Christians don't even think about this. And what I'm encouraging you to realize is you have an enemy within whose pattern is always this direction, who is predictable in what he is wanting to accomplish in our life. See him for who he is and fight against it. Paul says in the same passage in Galatians, he, then after he gets through this list, he says, he encourages us to keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Another way to say, walk with the Spirit in the things that he's wanting to do in your life. Now, one of the ways that we do this in the midst of a desire or maybe even a temptation, which sometimes we don't realize that the desire is actually a temptation, is to stop and ask, down which path is this desire taking me? You know, next month is uh, family month. One of our Sundays in family month is going to be about family conflict, which I know is completely irrelevant to our church. But just in case you have friends that maybe it could be helpful for. But let's just say this Christmas, as you gather with your family, let's just say, imagine a sort of hypothetical. Something said by some family member. That's a little bit divisive. An argument is beginning. And the flesh loves dissension, right? The spirit promotes peace. And as you sit there and you think to yourself, which of my family members is led by the Holy Spirit? Which of them is in step with the Holy Spirit? To stop and say, well, wait a second, which of them is promoting peace, which is a fruit of the spirit, and which of them is promoting dissension, which is evidence of somebody being led by the flesh? And then choose your side accordingly. It's a good practice, by the way, I don't know, at church business meetings possibly as well. Just throw that out. How do you know who is led by the flesh and who is led by the Holy Spirit? What are their words and actions and attitudes promoting? And when you look at it from that perspective, it sure helps to know who's on what side. So we have to be very good at identifying the desire in the moment, friend or foe, friend or foe. Secondly, resist the enemy and he will flee from you. This is a, an adaption of James who writes, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But it really goes back to verse 21. When I go to do good, their evil is right beside me. Or to say it this way, when I go to do good, I feel an inner resistance to that. That comes from somewhere. Indeed, it comes from the flesh. I read a book recently, this is not a Christian book, not a, authored by a Christian guy, but I think the name of the book was Resistance. And his basic premise was that it is human nature to resist things that uh, will, will, will be good for us, okay? The example he gives, for example, if you're, you know, you want to make healthy life choices, you're going to go on a diet, you're going to begin to exercise or whatever it might be. There's a resistance that you feel to that, right, the first day. When are you starting your diet, everybody? Always tomorrow. That's right, tomorrow. I'm going to get around to that because I have a resistance to it uh, today. Or let's say that there's a, 
you know, there's a, a, a family situation that, that uh, requires forgiveness and healing and, and grace. How hard is it to make that phone call? You'll hold the phone, you'll think about it, you'll think about it. It's, you feel resistance to actually making the call. The point of the book is this, that if we can learn that resistance is actually a blinking light, that this is exactly what I ought to do. You, you use resistance against itself. And the principle is the same that I think Paul is suggesting here, is that when I feel an inner resistance to something that God would want in my life, to see that resistance actually as a kind of motivation to do the thing. Because the flesh doesn't care about us doing something that would be spiritually unprofitable. We can do that all day long. But the moment I think about doing something that would be profitable, now I feel an inner resistance to it. And as Christians, to resist the resistance and to identify who it is that's creating that resistance in the first place. That's the prism through which Paul writes this. For I delight in the law of God. This is verse 21. I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. And making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Okay, he says, I, there's, there, in my mind, this is the spiritual Paul, the Christian Paul, I delight in what God wants in my life. But I also see this other thing at work in my body that I'm not delighting in what God wants in my life. He uses military language here. He says that I see in my members another law waging war. The, the imagery there, think of a, a, a movie of, you know, Vikings or something where, you know, two armies going to battle and one's on one hill and all of a sudden here shows up another one and they're clanging their shields with the sword and ah! That's what Paul's saying. On one side I see what God wants in my life, but every time I hear this ah! There's another army at work in my heart seeking to take me captive he says again another military term it literally it's like a prisoner of war okay prisoner of war my wife's grandpa was a prisoner of war in world war ii in italy for the nazis and to be a prisoner of war is not a good thing okay now if you're like me i grew up on hogan's heroes and you know Colonel Klink and Stalag 13 and generally a sort of fun thing that they got to do there. Don't think that. you got to think Dachau. Think death camp. Sin has no kindness, no love. Hates God. Hates us. Hates what God's doing. Wants to destroy us. Will take us down. Here we are at the end of 2018 to think about how many families in our church over 2018. How many marriages... How many situations where all of a sudden there's a defeat and you think, where did that come from? Why did it, why did it go that way? Because there is an enemy that is seeking to take us captive and to take us to the death camp and to destroy God's work in our life. So use resistance against itself. That next time that you think, I'm going to do something spiritually profitable, and then you have this like, ah, I don't know, go, oh, I see what you're doing. You are not going to win. 
Actually, the fact that you're showing that resistance, you're showing your hand. I am so going to do it now. You'd have been better off not giving me any resistance, but now that you've given me resistance, you'll die. I'm going to go read my Bible now. I think in big and small ways, this is immensely helpful. Just count on it. When you open your heart to something that God maybe is calling you to do, you're going to feel resistance to it. Just count on it and know what's going on and ask for the Holy Spirit's help to overcome. The last main point that I have in the message today is this. And this is really the foundation behind Paul's lament here is for us to realize as a Christian, sin is misery. Sin is misery. Holiness is happiness. Now, for a sinner, it's the opposite of that. For, a, for a, 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 an unbeliever, sin is happiness, but a very limited one. But for us as Christians, sin is misery, right? And that's what we hear from Paul. He, he doesn't want to sin. He wishes he would never sin. Is that your heart today? Like, if, if there was a way, if we had a, you know, some little tablet you could take on your way out today that would cause you to never sin again in your life. How many of us would do it? We ought to all want that, right? We don't want to sin anymore. And from that desire not to sin, Paul writes verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Only a mature Christian would lament like this. An unbeliever or maybe an immature Christian, they delight in their sin. But a mature Christian doesn't want to sin, wants Christ's likeness, hates everything in our lives that isn't like Christ, and grieves it. I wonder if we could say that here today in your heart. Could you say that, wretched man that I am? Wretched, not like Jesus, failing so often, man that I am. Would that we all could say it. And to understand that what Paul is giving us here is guidance for life and even guidance for happiness. This is like C.S. Lewis wrote famously in one of his most famous quotes. that He says, we're like, we're like children playing in the mud in the slum. We can't imagine a day of holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And Christians, God is forming a group here that isn't buying into the values of the world and happiness as the world promotes it. So the, the guy that, the, the swinging bachelor in downtown Chicago, the sleeping with all the girls of Chicago, driving the car, looking the look, going to the social parties and all of that, the world looks at that and goes, awesome. We look at that with sympathy for the emptiness of that approach to life. Why? Because we have tasted of the goodness of God. We know the gospel of Jesus. We know what sin, not sin's pleasures, but sin's forgiveness is like. And we know what it means to have a destiny secure in the love of God known as eternal life. Why would you live that way when you could live this way? And if we're not convinced of this while we're at church, you're going to go home and watch the game this afternoon and watch the commercials and the whole lifestyle of promoting that this is what is ultimate, this is the coolest, this is the best way that we can live. Would that we would laugh at that 
and say, you are far too easily pleased, Michelob. For Paul's sin isn't happiness. Holiness is happiness. Christ's likeness is happiness. The Jesus life is the ultimate life that has ever been lived. And the more my life resembles his life, the more that joy that was his is my joy. What doesn't look like him or reflect him in my life is my loss, is my misery, because sin brings death to me. And this is where Paul, I think just, it's, I'm just so glad it's Paul that writes this. Like if it was Judas or Jezebel or somebody, you'd be like, okay, yeah, she's a sinner and so are we. But this is Paul, the apostle, opening his heart before us and saying, I hate everything that isn't like Christ. Oh, wretched man that I am. Is this not what Jesus meant when he said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are they that mourn? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why is there blessing in being poor in spirit? Because when I am poor in spirit, when I'm mourning my sin, I am looking at myself the way God sees me. I am seeing myself truthfully. And from that position now, I can receive the grace of God and the change that comes by the Holy Spirit. And I just, I so, I want this in my life. I want this for you. I want this for our church. Would that we would all hate what isn't like Christ. Like the sculpture illustration from last week. The horse. How do you make a horse? How do you sculpt a horse? You chip away everything that doesn't look like a horse. How do we become like Christ? A critical component is loving Christ so much that we hate everything that isn't like him. So if, if, if you get from this that, man, I gotta go out and hate my sin more, yes, that's true. But the means to hating my sin more is not me hating my sin more. The means to hating my sin more is I love Christ so much. Like I wanna be like him so much that it causes me to hate my sin. So the key to this is elevating the worth and the glory and the beauty of Jesus to such an extent that I want to be like him, hating everything that isn't like him. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? The verse goes on and says this, praise be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we find in this then that justification is grounded in the work of Jesus. It is the work of God in my life. It is his grace in my life. And sanctification is also God's work in my life. I can't make myself like Christ, but God is forming that within me. Horses can't sculpt themselves. A horse sculpture always requires a sculptor. And Christ's likeness always requires a sculptor. And it is the Holy Spirit working in me, elevating my love for Christ, causing me to hate my sin, giving me direction toward love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithful, self-control, helping me understand that the flesh is the opposite of that. And as I live my life in the day-to-day, elevating Christ, identifying my enemy, fighting the resistance that he produces in my life, and I do that over time, 
Lo and behold, I'm more like Christ. I am growing as a Christian. That's growth as a Christian, which is the Lord's will for all of us. He who began the good work will carry it on to completion. And what follows all of this lamenting in Romans 7? Romans 8, verse 1. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8. We will see you in February.